expectations for Zach Wilson, the future of Denzel Mims, the future of Elijah Moore. We discuss all of this and more today on the Locked On Jets podcast. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, this is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Thursday, November 10th, 2022, and I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. Thanking you for making this show your first listen or first watch every day. This podcast is free and it's available on all platforms, including YouTube. If you like what you see or hear, hit the subscribe button where you are watching or listening so you'll never miss an episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, please give, give this episode a big thumbs up. Helps the channel out and it helps other Jets fans find the podcast. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is presented by Prize Picks. Prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKED ON. That's prizepicks.com, promo code LOCKED ON. Well, the Jets are on their bye week this week. Usually, our Thursday episodes are crossover episodes where we prepare for that weekend's game with the host of the Lockdown podcast of the upcoming opponent. Of course, there is no opponent today. And I was looking through all, all of our mailbag questions. We did a mailbag show yesterday. Wednesday is our mailbag day on the podcast. And there were a lot of really good ones we did not get to yesterday. So I've decided maybe we could do a second mailbag this week since the Jets are obviously in their bye week. And you know, thank you, everybody who sent in questions. It's amazing that we have enough mailbag questions to do two shows in one week. So my greatest appreciation. We begin with a question about Zach Wilson. And the question states, we have lowered the bar so much that if Zach has a game like on Sunday where he does not mess up, people go crazy. What do you consider a successful 2022 season for Zach Wilson, keeping in mind it is his second season? Not screwing up is a very low bar for a second-year quarterback. That's unlikely to be of much value in the playoffs. Look for Garrett Wilson or else scramble is not quarterback development. So a question that seems very pessimistic about Zach Wilson. I think there's a key part of that question, though, I'd like to address first. When we're talking about how what he's doing right now is not going to be much value in the playoffs. I mean, can we imagine, can we go back to September for a second? And imagine I told you that on November 10th, the Thursday before the Jets buy, your biggest concern would be, that the Jets maybe are not built to win once they make the playoffs. Isn't that a sign that the Jets are having a great year? So I think, you, first of all, before we get into any of this, you have to acknowledge that there's a lot to be feeling good about right now with this football team. I think it's not just that Zach Wilson's in the second season. I think you have to evaluate where he is, where he's coming from. Last year was rough on him, and he really was not ready to play. The Jets stuck him into the lineup immediately. They did not bring in anybody who could challenge him for the starting job, and you know, I, I go back and forth, back and forth on whether that was a mistake. Because on the one hand, do you want to put a guy on the field when he's in over his head? On the other, you know, the Jets were really not going anywhere anyway last year. So there's a school of thought that maybe just getting him the reps, getting him the experience, would be beneficial. Zach Wilson's a very raw quarterback at this point, and I think a big part of the reason he's playing right now is he was the second overall pick. Because you know, if he went in like you know round two, round three, round four in that range, and you were just looking at the player right now. I think you'd say, you know, this guy's kind of raw. He's still developing. Let's give him some more time. So 
I think it's kind of a tough spot for Zach Wilson because I think the expectations are like he's this going to be this amazing quarterback. He's in year two. In reality, when the Jets drafted him out of BYU, he was not as pro-ready as the Jets thought he would be. So it's a long road fo- forward for Zach Wilson, and he can get there. But I think at some level, you have to understand where he's at and where you're looking to get. I think that if he plays the way he did on Sunday, that's perfectly fine. I mean, at this point, what you want him to be able to do is make efficient plays. You know, I think late last season, Zach stopped turning the ball over. But the problem was that the Jets really were not moving the ball on offense. Now, if you look at what they did on Sunday, the yards per attempt is not very good. I mean, it's under seven, which is kind of like the threshold you want to be at. That's like the minimum threshold you want to be at somewhere in the seven yards per attempt range. He was below that. But the plays were generally successful. Uh, Football Outsiders created created the stat years ago. It's called success rate. And essentially, the concept is that, you know, you can, if a running back can break a 19-yard run on a third and 25 play, but it really doesn't help your team. Your stats don't look great because you got a 19-yard run. Whereas if you're getting two yards on the third and one, your stats don't look good because it's only two yards, but it was successful. So they essentially created this concept called the success rate. And each play is either a success or it's a failure based on the yards gained per play. And it's something like you for, if you get 40% of the yards you need on first down, 60% on the second on second down and then picking up the th- picking up, you know, moving the chains on third down, that's considered a success. And Zach Wilson's success rate was very high in that game. Now yeah, look, he's right now really looking toward Garrett Wilson, but I look at it in a sense that this is how you build up a young quarterback who's maybe a little bit raw. You know, Zach Wilson's not at a point where he's ready to read a bunch of sophisticated coverages. And I've really come to believe that the one thing that destroys quarterbacks more than anything is just consistent failure because it's very easy. You know, you want guys who can shake off a bad moment. You need guys who can shake off a bad game. You need guys who can shake off a bad week, a bad month. But at some point, it just becomes overwhelming. If your team's losing, like Sam Darnold, if your team's losing every week and you don't have anybody who can help you out, you're, you know, at some point, it's just going to crush you. And I think as much as any, the Jets want to lift Zach Wilson up right now because they can keep the confidence level high gradually you hope he can learn how to do things you know right now i've said i think right now he's probably about a one to one and a half read quarterback so what you're trying to do is work that up and maybe you can get him to like be being a two read quarterback by the end of the year and have some a base set of concepts that he's capable of executing and a quarterback like a garrett uh, i'm sorry a wide receiver like a garrett wilson can really help you out on that because he's not going to be facing consistent failure if garrett wilson's open every down you know, if, he, if Garrett Wilson's his first read and he's open, he can go to Garrett Wilson. And that means he doesn't need to make sophisticated reads. And when he doesn't have to make sophisticated reads, you limit the number of mistakes he's making. I think, you know, I look back to the Miami game. I look back to the Buffalo game. That's what I'm hoping for for Zach Wilson. You know, I'm not, you know, the Pittsburgh game was great, but he's not a quarterback at this point who's really going to lift the Jets on his shoulders all that frequently. You like You love to see it occasionally. You like to see every now and then him show that, you know, down the line, I'll have this ability, maybe if I put things together, but you just want him to play consistent football. You want him to generally avoid the big, I know he had the fumble against Buffalo, but you want him to protect the football, play efficiently, make the right reads. And if he does those things, I think it's a successful year too. And yeah, I know the bar's low, but you're looking for competency out of this quarterback right now. You're not going to go from where Zach Wilson was last year, or even where he was against say Denver or Green Bay to the top of the league. It's going to take a little bit more time than that. So I think what we saw against Buffalo was fun. Now, I don't think the Jets are going to be able to execute quite that game plan. I think you know, the ball control game plan where you're 
hitting a bunch of short passes and not run, and running the ball, that's not going to work against everybody. So I think they are they are eventually going to have to open things up to a certain extent. But if Zach Wilson plays at the level he played against the against the Bills, I think the Jets are going to be pretty happy with where he's at at the end of the year. Now, but of course, next year he's going to need to grow even more. So it's you know this is not this is not where you want Zach Wilson at year five. It's fine for year two. Our next question is Robert Sala a candidate for coach of the year? Well, the answer is yes. And the thing with the coach of the year is that they don't really judge it based on who the best coach is. It's typically who takes the team that was bad last year and that team becomes good. So by that threshold, you know, Robert Sala is going to be in the mix. I'm sure there are some other candidates you can name, but I think Robert Sala is going to be very highly considered. And that's, it's not that Robert Sala is not, Robert Sala is doing a good job. And Robert Sala actually, I think, does deserve to be considered for coach of the year, but they don't really look at it in a multi-dimensional way. They just look at it as who was bad last year, who's good this year. Therefore, their coach is coach of the year. I think it's a weird way to do it because if you're expected to be good and you do a great coaching job, you can never be coach of the year. But hey, Jets have a shot to win an award, so who am I to complain? Now head here on the Lockdown Jets podcast, we're going to move our attention to the wide receiver position. Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore. What's the hierarchy going to be going forward? That's what we'll discuss as we continue this special Thursday mailbag edition of Lockdown Jets. This episode is brought to you by Blue Nile. Whether you are looking to pop the question, you have a milestone to celebrate, or you want to let your love sparkle, Blue Nile can help you make your celebrations even more memorable. As the original online jeweler, Blue Nile offers the largest selection of independently graded diamonds and prices priced significantly below traditional retailers. Blue Nile has helped millions of couples create their perfect engagement ring. Their easy online tools let you choose the diamond, shape, size, and clarity, as well as setting style of your choice. Blue Nile's bench of jewelers will then help you handcraft her perfect one-of-a-kind engagement ring. If you're looking for a piece of fine jewelry to commemorate a special occasion, but you you have trouble choosing, Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7, available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift on every budget. So make your moment sparkle with Blue Nile. Go to BlueNile.com and use code LOCKEDON to save $50 on your purchase of $500 or more. That's B-L-U-E-N-I-L-E.com, code LOCKEDON to save $50 on your purchase of $500 or more. BlueNile.com, code LOCKEDON. Thank you again for making Lockdown Jets your first listener, first watch every day. This podcast is free and it's available on all platforms. We continue with our special Thursday mailbag edition. Our next question, when looking at the Denzel Mims and Elijah Moore situations, it is interesting that Mims appears to be out of the doghouse with the coaches having more trust in him than Moore. For example, the the pivotal third and five at the end of the Buffalo game went to Mims. What has Mims done differently than Moore to have gained more trust from the coaches, being that Moore has shown more on the field last year than Mims ever has? Is it as simple as one is 6'3 and the other is 5'10, or is there more to it? Well, I don't think it's that Mims is bigger. I think it's just, you know, he showed up and worked. And it's kind of funny because they both requested a trade, but the way they went about it was very different. And even in like in the Mims trade request in the preseason, his agent was very respectful in the in the request. He, he even praised the Jets. He said the Jets have always done right by Denzel. But what happened after that trade request when the Jets did not honor it? He kept working. You know, you didn't really hear from him. He did not go to the media every day complaining, I want to be out of here. He kept working and he waited his chance. And to an extent, he's taken advantage of it. I don't want to make it sound like Mims has played at an all-pro level, but to an extent, he's taken advantage of it. He's made a couple key catches for the Jets over the last few weeks. 
And it's a difference from Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore, you know, after a win, and that, part of it was just the timing with Elijah Moore. The Jets had their, like, such an amazing win. It was their best win in some time in Green Bay. And immediately after it, he's complaining about it. And part of, you know, part of it's the fan base hasn't had a lot of wins. So maybe that made it stand out a little bit more. But, you know, the Jets have this huge win. It's like this, this franchise-changing win. And immediately after the game, this guy's complaining. I mean, that's got to leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth the way it was handled. And then the Jets kind of let it go, and he escalates the situation. And it's, I think part of it's, this would not be, with Elijah Moore, this would not be as big of a deal if it happened, you know, two, three years ago when the Jets were losing, because then you could say, okay, well, this guy's just frustrated by the losing. The Jets were in the middle of a great stretch. The Jets are, like, establishing themselves as a legit team, and this guy's walking out off the team because he's mad he's not getting targets. I just don't know how anybody can defend what Elijah Moore is doing. Whereas Denzel Mims is just working hard. And this goes back to last year. Because we know Denzel Mims, you know, the coaching staff did not love... We never really found out the details, but the coaching staff really did not love what was whatever was going on with Denzel Mims last year. You could tell that they were very frustrated by everything. But he came back this year. And again, he worked hard. For, I, I know it's weird to say aside from the trade request, he kept his mouth shut. But aside from the trade request, he did keep his mouth shut. The trade request was respectful. It's not like he said, "I'm out of here." These guys are terrible. They were. It was very. They were very complimentary. If you read the statement from his agent, and after the Jets did not give him the trade, did he complain? No, he waited for an opportunity to emerge. And when that opportunity came, he's kind of taken. I mean, it has been great. He's committed some penalties, but he has added a few few nice plays for the Jets. So it's just the. I think right now it's the attitude. I think, you know, because if it was about size, Mims would have been playing over more last year. Mims would have been playing over more at the start of the season. I think right now Mims is buying into what the Jets are doing and more does not seem to be. Now we'll see. Maybe that changes in the future. Next question. This is an interesting one. If there is an, an elite running back prospect similar to Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker available to the Jets in round two of this year's draft, would you take him? I would, as we have seen the impact a big play back can have. And it took Saquon two years to fully recover from a similar injury. Well, obviously, the doctor's assessments of Brees Hall come into play here because, you know, it's not there's no guarantee he's going to have the same recovery trajectory as, as Saquon uh, Barkley. But I don't rule things out. I think part of the problem is, like, people rule things out in the draft because they say, well, that's not a need. And the draft is never about, like, I feel like we should have learned the lesson at this point. The draft's not about filling needs. Are the Jets better off because Sauce Gardner plays corner specifically? No, they're better off because Sauce Gardner is a dominant player, and you need dominant players on your team. Now, of course, playing time does enter the equation here to an extent. So you have to balance that with you know, your other options. If, you can, if, you, if you're getting a guy who's going to be the second guy behind Brees Hall, and you still have Michael Carter and you still have James Robinson on the teams, even, even if these guys are not game-changing type players, you may look at this and you say, well, how much is this improving the team? Especially if you think Brees is going to be back. So it's always a balance. Look, I don't, I don't think you rule things out. And I think sometimes teams and fans get into trouble because they're too quick to rule something out because they say, well, that's not a need. I think there's a balance. I don't think you just, I don't think you completely disregard what you've got because you're, when you're drafting a player, you have to think, how much is this guy improving my team? But you also need to be flexible as situations present themselves. So, you know, it depends on, I hate to say it depends on who else is available, but it really does depend on who else is available. Because 
if there's a guy that you think is like a Pro Bowl linebacker, and you know how weak you are at linebacker, and this depends because obviously free agency is going to come before the draft. So by the time the draft comes, linebacker may not be as much of a glaring issue. But I think you you look at it and you say, well, you know, the linebacker who plays all the time probably going to help me more than a running back at a position where I already have a great player. I already have, and that's part of the key. If it was just Michael Carter, James Robinson, it would be a much easier choice, and you'd take him. Just the way you took Brees when you still had Michael Carter last year, because you had solid players, but you had a chance to get a game-changing player. But if there's, like, nobody out there who's a game-changing player, then I think you look at it at a position. You know, if there's nobody out there at a position where you have a bigger hole, then you look at it. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is need matters, but I think sometimes we overdo it. I think sometimes we think need is the only thing that matters. So I think to a certain extent, if it not being a need, maybe it makes that play second. Maybe that makes running back secondary to other positions if there's a great player available at those positions. But if there's no great player and the running back is far and away the best player, then I think you look at taking him. I hope that answers the question. Now, here on the Locked On Jets podcast, we'll conclude this special Thursday mailbag edition. We'll talk about the way the Jets are going to align their receivers going forward. No Jets this weekend. They are on their bye, but there's still plenty of great football action beginning tonight. And, you know, if you don't have a rooting interest in the game, some of you like to lay money down on professional football. And you should know that betonline.net is your number one source for all of your sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis this season. You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, they've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. They are the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. This is the Locked On Jets podcast here on this Thursday. We're doing a special bonus mailbag episode. Our next question the Jets play a lot of 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, who contribute a lot of blocking to the run game. Mims is a willing blocker, and so is Davis when he comes back. Given the Jets' emphasis on the run game, do you foresee a lot of snaps where neither Moore nor Berrios are in the game with Wilson in the slot when the Jets are not in their two tight end formation? So the question is, will we have a lot of Mims on the outside, Davis on the outside, and Garrett Wilson in the slot? Well, the Jets have indicated they're going to move Elijah Moore to the slot. That was something that came out earlier in the week. So I, I do think we're going to see a lot of Elijah Moore in the slot. You know, it doesn't seem like the Jets really emphasize receiver size when they block. That's just my perception based on the run game, based on the way that they've deployed guys, based on the screen game. I think it's one of those situations where it's nice to have, but I don't think, as weird as it sounds, I know the Jets say tell you otherwise. The Jets will tell you run, block, run blocking is really important for their receivers. But I don't get the sense it really is based on the way that they deploy these guys. Because you'll see sometimes you'll see screens where Barrios is blocking for somebody. Barrios is really small. Elijah Moore, like they play Elijah Moore. On, they have played Elijah Moore on the outside a lot, even though they said they're moving into the slot. So, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily going to go that way. This is the way I would do it if I was the Jets at the receiver position. I, I would, these two tight ends, my goodness, with these two tight ends on the field. I don't, I don't really see why that's necessary all that often. But... I play, you know, one tight. One of the tight ends can play, I guess. You know, we'll, we'll deal with one of the two. But the three receivers who I think should play f- most frequently, I think Garrett Wilson should never come off the field. I think Corey Davis should never come off the field. And I think between Elijah Moore 
and between Denzel Mims, you play them both. You maybe have a platoon there where Mims runs the routes he's good at running, Moore runs the route he's good at running, so you Mims maybe a little bit more vertical, Elijah Moore, you have him run a little bit more across the field, um, you know, fit their skill sets well. And if there's a hot hand in the mix, you know, if one of these guys is really breaking out, then he, he, he plays a lot. And then the guy who's not playing, if Davis or Wilson needs a break, that guy goes in. So I think that that's how I do it. I, two guys who never come off the field, and then your three, four receivers are uh, Moore and Mims, and whoever's not playing, you know, he becomes the super sub who comes in whenever somebody needs a break. And then you mix in Barrios for some manufactured touches, maybe a few end arounds, and maybe use him as a fake decoy to fake. That's how, and that's what I would do. And I would not put Jeff Smith on the field. I think there's no reason to put Jeff Smith on the field on offense for the Jets right now. So that's how I would do it. Um, you know, I don't know how, you know, I think the Jets are going to try, it sounds like the Jets are going to try out Elijah Moore in the slot, though, at least. And, you know, we'll see how it works. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Our next question, John, one of the many pleasant surprises this season so far has been the run defense. However, from what I can tell, the scheme and the front seven players are mostly the same from last year. What are the main reasons for the improved run defense play? You know, I'm going to give an answer that I think is probably unsatisfying because people don't like this answer, but I think it's true. You think you have, people always talk about the difference the coaching staff's making, how the coaching staff's improved so much. Sometimes you talk about, oh, this team brought in this player. This player has just made such a difference. Sometimes you talk about a guy who's back from injury. But a lot of the time, the difference is players are just playing better. Look at the way Quinnen Williams played last year. Quinnen Williams was okay last year, but he took a major step back. And I thought he was especially took a major step back against the run. You know, I don't think he was really as good as he was in 2020 against the run last year. This year, he's playing at a phenomenal level. You know, Sheldon Rankins was terrible against the run last year. Sheldon Rankins was actually, you know, we talked about Sheldon Rankins being a disappointing player last year. He actually was not a bad pass rusher. He just was horrible against the run. I think he's playing better this year. So I think it's really, your linemen are playing. I know it's a very unsatisfying answer because you want there to be some some detailed explanation for what Jeff Ulbrich's doing schematically. But I think you're right. I don't think the scheme's all that different. You know, last year, there's so much so many complaints about the scheme, how the scheme cannot work. Well, it's amazing what happens when you get guys who are playing at a high level and can actually run the scheme effectively, opposed to, you know, a bottom of the NFL roster. That's the biggest change right now. I think it's that simple. And, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a silly answer. Maybe it's not very insightful, but I think that's what it is. That's all for today's episode. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, your team every day is our motto. If you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you're listening on a podcast source, please give this episode, please give this show a five-star review. It helps us out tremendously. So does giving this episode a big thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. These things help other Jets fans find the podcast. Hope you have a great Thursday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to close out the week.